The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. It is November. It feels like hockey weather. Uh, Down into the 30s last night while I was outside. But I look at my TV listings and there is nothing to be seen for NHL hockey. Very, very distressing. Just uh, just replays. Uh, yes. At this particular point in time, we'd be about a month into the NHL season. Yes. Uh, the Buffalo Sabres and Edmonton Oilers would still both be in first place uh, in their divisions. And this is true. The collapse of either or both would be uh, would be highly anticipated by everybody. Uh, it would be about eight weeks away. Or over the next eight weeks, I guess it would take place because they three don't weeks. just three weeks to fall out of the top three. Oh, okay, three weeks. All right. Well, fair and enough. then pro- and then probably another two weeks after that uh, to four weeks after that to fall out of playoff contention and cement cement their uh, status as bottom dwellers. Uh, yep. Okay. Uh, outside of that. We would have, uh, well, Patrick Line may or may not have had one or two scoring streaks. <laughs> and three or four cold streaks, yep. Which one is longer, we'll leave up to you to decide. <laughs> it's the cold streak. There you go. Uh, I was looking, I, I was looking, since we were talking about uh, signings, because I apparently had a dream or something that people were signing. And there was one signing. Rupe Hints did sign last Monday. Woo-ha. With Dallas. But then we were looking at this Michael Haley signing for Ottawa. And at 34 years. Very important year, piece of their, of their organization. <clears throat> well, at 34 years old, he automatically signs on to be the oldest player. If he's on the active, ro- the active roster. If he's on the top level. Uh, no, not in the minors. He would be the oldest player on the roster, uh, surpassing Artem Anisimov at 32, because Michael Haley is 34 years old, 270 games in the NHL, and has a whopping eight, 18 points. 30, I thought it was 32 points. Oh, 32 points. Um, yes, and 687 penalty minutes. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because it suddenly occurred to me that Ottawa made the deal to get tougher. I don't know why they needed Haley. Apparently, at some point, Ottawa brought in Alex Galchenyuk. And there you go. I mean, Alex Galchenyuk, uh, just like just like uh, Phil Kessel, are what I think of when I think of NHL tough guys. Uh, yeah. I mean, if that's, I mean, that was the main reason that Pittsburgh brought in Alex was because they needed to get tougher. So I just, when I saw him on the roster, I, I couldn't understand the Michael Haley signing. Uh, they will now actually been... be the toughest team in the league. Who? The Ottawa Senators. Well, with Haley and Galchenyuk, certainly. I mean, they did lose, but Bor- Bor- I, I know I'm going to mash Borowicki? up his name. But Borowicki did go to... Nashville. Yes. That kid can hit. <laughs> I love watching him play, honestly. 
I do believe he's in Nashville now. I'm going to have to confirm my own confusion here. Oh, your con- your confusion is definitely confirmed. Oh, and there he is, Mark Borowicki, who, by the way, still would be younger than both Artemisimov and Michael Haley because he's only 31. And not a bad price tag for Borowicki, who's making $2 million a year for the next two years. Yes. Uh, so oh, where do we want to go ahead? By, I was just going to say, by the way, he's a left defenseman in case we were curious. What's a left defenseman? Uh, well, since we don't have many of them on the Bruins, I understand your confusion. What are they used for? Uh, they would play on the opposite side from the right defenseman. Well, so, you know, in most right but I think the Boston Bruins are developing a new system where they oh. only have one defenseman on the ice. Oh, okay. They're going to try the, they're going to try um, four forwards and one defenseman then three forwards, a defenseman and a Rover four four forwards and a defenseman who knows what they'll call it. I mean, <laughs> Sweeney's a Harvard guy and that makes him smarter than the rest of the world put together. Oh, Okay. It's true. It's true. Fair enough. Uh, what do we got on the docket for today? I think that's what you were just asking me, though. That that was my attempted question. Uh, I mean, we have we have some signings. We have some stories of youth, some recoveries. Um, we have some questions about potential trades uh, and trade rumors. There's, uh, let's see, discussion of players who possibly need to be signed next year and a few other things here and there. What's going on with Libor Hayek? Libor Hayek. New Jersey Jersey Rangers. Wow, I'm really getting, uh, we need hockey to start before I, New York Rangers. (laughs) Lieber is, uh, as you know, playing hockey, um, and as you probably figured out, he is not playing hockey in the NHL right now because they're not playing. Um, he's as, He is one of the Rangers' prospects, uh, and the Blue Shirts' blue liner um, has been in at home in the Czech Republic playing for the Comets. Um he is one of the host of, well, nearly a thousand uh, NHL defensemen and defense uh, prospects vying for the spot next to Jacob Truba on on the Rangers' top pairing. Um, Steve Paulus over at Blue Line Station uh, has chosen to focus uh, an article he wrote yesterday on the 14th, uh, about him. Um, last year, the left side defenseman, uh, to play with Truba really, there really wasn't a dominant player. Um, what's your take on this? I think this is, I think this is a great move for him. If he can get somewhere, gets, get his, uh, get his game legs going, it doesn't seem like everybody has the ability, the the opportunity to go over to the Czech Republic or to go to the the KHL or wherever else and get themselves going. But he's got this opportunity, and I don't know. My first thought when I saw playing on Jacob Truber's uh, 
line as as his defense partner. And it mentions Adam Fox here, but yeah, I mean, Adam Fox and Jacob Truba, both of them are slightly off. I mean, Jacob Truba is offensive defenseman. Adam Fox to me is an offensive defenseman. Haven't seen him play here in, in, in college. My first thought was having them together, but does it make more sense to split them up? In which case, Libor does have a chance to play on on Truba's line. I, I I just think that from a standpoint of nobody else is playing right now. I mean, the NHL isn't going to be starting for the foreseeable future. I know they're hoping for beginning of the year, but there's issues with that going on. Uh, he didn't get a chance. He was part of the roster in the, as you like to call them, pretend-offs, the, <laughs> the summertime hockey. Uh, cue, the, cue the song Summertime here at some point. Yes. I just... Uh, it looks like they have played... According to this, Hayek and Truba played 243 minutes at even strength on ice, mm-hmm. both 10 goals for and 10 goals against. So they, they start diving into Corsi ratings and everything. I think this is a necessary thing. Get him going, get his legs going, and then bring him in, see how far ahead of everybody else he is and where you can fit him in. I like this as an experiment, to be honest with you. I think it's Absolutely. a good idea on the Rangers' part. I think it's good for him to get uh, some confidence back playing at a level. He certainly should be very, certainly at worst in the top third of the league. Um, and that's, you know, if he's not playing at peak, um, if he's playing all out, he should probably be a little bit higher than that. Uh, but the competition uh, for that coveted spot on the top pairing is apparently literally everyone in the system, including K. Andre like. Miller, um, who we uh, who we looked at heavily in his draft year. Um, I have nice. a fe- I have a feeling that this is not going to be something settled, even when training camp breaks uh, or when training camp ends. Um, I I think that this is going to end up being an ongoing experiment through the first at least two months of uh, the regular season whenever it should occur. It gives them an interesting, uh, as, and it, it is mentioned here at the end of the, at the end of the article, it, it is, it, it gives them a unique situation where they've got all these defensemen. And if he, if Libor does come back and he's much ahead of, much recovered, much ahead of uh, you've got that confidence back, got that swagger back. Because then you got Lebo, you got K. Andre Miller, you got uh, all these defensemen, and you've got an expansion draft uh, heading your way. And then it becomes very curious as to which one you dangle, which one you try to lock up. Uh, they still got Ryan Lindgren that they got from Boston. Correct. Uh, you got Tony D'Angelo, who's a good young prospect. They got a lot, uh, not prospect, but a good young, uh, good young defender. They've got a lot of that going on in that organization right now. They need to figure it out before they get to the expansion, so that they know who to let go. Absolutely. Um, speaking of signings and letting go, 
moving a little further west uh, and slightly north, um, the Edmonton Oilers are going to need to re-sign Ryan Nugent Hopkins at some point. Really? Uh, Yeah. He's had a solid uh, couple of seasons. He's 27 years old at this point. I'm going to become an unrestricted free agent after next season. Um, He's averaged uh, 29 goals and 69 points per 82 games over the last three seasons. Um, Adam Gretz of NBC Sports uh, speculates that a three-year, $7 million contract might be the number that things land on. Three years, seven million per, or seven million? Seven million per. Really? Which, with a flattened cap, or if things stay ugly, um, a reduced cap, not... But It's not horrible. Is he seven million dollars a year? In the current NHL, yeah, he is. I mean, you're... It's not what it's not the percentage of a cap that it used to be like when Mark Savard was signed for what? $7 million when he first arrived in Boston, that was a huge cap hit. I mean, that was very close to, that was a double digit percentage back then. Okay. Now it's under 10%. It's like, I don't know, seven and a half percent, eight percent without bothering to do the math. Um, and it's only about a million dollar raise over over his uh, current uh, salary, and that would leave him at you know thirty thirty one when the contract expired, um, and able to go with a stronger deal if he's still producing or his production uh, increases. My question is: Can can Edmonton? I mean. Has Edmonton painted themselves into a corner with all these huge? I mean, oh, they still absolutely. Have, they still have two more years. They still have three more years if you count this season on James Neal yep. at five and three quarters. They still have four years of three point two with Zach Cashin. Uh-huh. I realize Nugent which Hopkins, aren't even their big contracts. I mean, uh, well, their two big ones are clearly. Uh, McSavier, excuse me, McDavid, and Leon Dreisaitl. And as they should be, I mean, those are your two top guys talent-wise. But, yes, when 20 million, uh, when, what's it, 25% of your salary is tied up in two two players, players, that's a problem. (laughs) You're given five points. I mean, the Penguins have done that, have been doing that for what, since Crosby and Malkin's, like, third, fourth year in the league? Um, they've been but that have they, have weighted. They had 20, but it has been 25, 25%. I mean, even Chicago with Kane and Taze didn't have 25% of their salary cap tied up in two players. I'd granted, have to double-check the numbers, but yeah. They turned around. Granted, they did turn around and give Seabrook and Duncan Keith big contracts as well, and then they started getting painting themselves into a corner. But the, I mean, twenty million, twenty five percent of your salary cap in two players is just—that's a lot to ask. And they're going to have to try and figure out how to give Nugent Hopkins seven mil for three years. 
Yeah. It's not going to be easy. I mean, I, I don't know that. I mean, you can't trade McDavid at this point. There's no one. I don't know that anyone would take him. Well, there he goes. So. One, I don't know that you could actually trade him and have get useful value back. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you get five, if you get five first round picks and a high draft pick uh, or a high prospect, but they're only producing, but that high prospect only produces twenty goals and forty five assists next year, you're not getting dollar for dollar value, and you still have years and years and years before the rest of those picks uh, come uh, hit the league. Um, And as far as Dreisaitl, as much as I like Dreisaitl, he's not, I don't think he's quite as marketable. Um, Certainly not in Canada. He's marketable in Germany. (laughs) I'm unaware of any way to make a trade between the NHL and the German league, but if you as find far as one, I know there isn't, <laughs> if you find one, do let me know. Certainly. I, I, I like the fact that they've got, uh, almost 4 million tied up in buyout, especially when one of the two players is, uh, succeeding in Dallas, uh, Andre Sekera. They're paying him this year, two and a half million. And then over the next two seasons, one and a half per. In the meantime, he's getting paid by Dallas. Yep. Um, and, oh, by the way, you know, they're playing in the Stanley Cup final uh, or played in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, the other one that they bought out was Benny Poo, and this is the last year of that buyout at 1.3. On a contract everyone said they should not have signed him to. Well, <laughs> everyone being me. And they retained seven hundred fifty thousand dollars of Milan's salary when they dealt him to Calgary. I I don't know what I mean. Ken Holland is he's hamstrung with that with that with that development system and cap situation. But he's also he, he he's if there's going to be somebody that's going to turn it around, it's going to be him. You're going to have to give him. A couple of years to to hash out all the all the bugs hidden in the corner and and bring in decent talent. But I mean, he's already started. He brought in Dominic Cahoon. Uh, I don't know about Jesse Puljujarvi, but at cheap money, it, it's not too bad. I think that if there's somebody that's going to be able to nail down the Ryan Nugent Hopkins deal, it'll be Ken Holland, and it'll be. Not so much team friendly, but it'll be a, it'll be easier on the on the team and on their payroll than if it See, was somebody like a Chia Pet. Remember, he's Nugent Hopkins is going to be a UFA. Mm-hmm. I I can't see him signing for too much less than that, even if unless it's like an eight year deal with a no movement clause. I mean, why would he take a pay cut or what's effectively a pay cut regarding uh, between inflation and, you know, his his production has been solid. Okay. 
uh, then I still think that he'll be able to find some way to at least make it work for the franchise. I I don't have a plan in my head as to how it would be done. Personally, I don't know how they can afford They need to find some – they need to find a way to create some wiggle room. Yeah, and and those buyouts that you talked about are going to come off the off the sal or off the roster or off the balance well, sheet in the real future. Sekiro has got two more after this year, but yeah, at one point five per year, and with with Benny Pooh coming off this year, it'll make it. I mean, you're freeing up uh, three million or so dollars there. But it, that I mean that's not I don't know I I like Nugent Hopkins uh, the the fact that he was a number one overall and probably shouldn't have been I I don't have a problem with him as the number one pick overall I have a problem with the fact that they put him in the NHL when he was not physically ready to be there people keep saying oh it's not the NHL of the 90s and people don't get hit that hard. Dude, please. He had multiple shoulder injuries those first three seasons, four seasons, because he was in the NHL too early. He was not physically developed, and uh, had had he stayed in the K, had he stayed in college hockey or in junior hockey one more season, maybe two more seasons. I think that he that his first seasons in the NHL are a whole lot better. They're much closer to what we've seen the last two years in terms of points per game than, uh, than previous. But the, not to, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that there's history in, in repetition though, because they did the same thing with Nail Yakupov. They made him the number one overall. And I don't think that Nail Yakupov is a di- different situation. I think, I think that, that Nail Yakupov is, they messed with his confidence. I think that he needed to spend a little more time in juniors before stepping onto an NHL rink. Uh, Nail Yakupov, I, I personally think that there there are indications in place that he had a lot of the same shortcut-seeking uh, behavior as Koklachev, and that's one of the reasons he's not been an NHL star shortcuts and by shortcuts you mean just blowing uh blowing routes not being in the right places to pass uh to receive a pass um on ice silliness that breaks the system yeah he hasn't played in an NHL game since 2017-18 I'm unaware as to where he's actually playing at the moment. I'm assuming it's in the KHL. Uh, who? Yakupov. Uh, sounds about right. Same as Koklachev? Well, I know Koklachev is playing over there. Now Yakupov is... I went from... Uh, this year he's playing for Omsk uh, Avangard. Last year... It was – oh, no, he's on his second team already in the KHL this year. Uh, 21 games in and nine points. Um, last year, 
St. Petersburg, um, where he did not have a particularly impressive season. Uh, but still even, the top. even in the KHL, he's not that uh, dominant force offensively. No, see, uh, uh, Neil Yakupov, I still... Neil Yakupov should not have been the first overall pick in a fairly squishy forward draft. I mean, if you look at some of the guys, Philip Forsberg is the top scoring forward uh, in that draft. He was the 11th overall pick. Galchenyuk, who gets railed in the media, is the number two scoring guy uh, from that draft uh, for forwards. And then uh, Tevu Teravainen. It's, None of them are terrible. It's funny that we're talking about these two guys, and as it turns out, they are actually teammates. Not surprising. If you're going to like one of those guys and take a risk on their upside, you're probably going to like both of them. I did not. Um, just a good. I. The difference being that in 23 games this season, and Coco has been on the Coco has been on the. Omsk avant-garde team all season long. He's got 17 points 20, uh, in 23 games played. And Yakupov in his six games only has three points. In his total 21 games this season, he has a whopping nine points. Yeah. So uh, Yakupov, number one overall pick two years later, Coco gets picked in, what is it, the second round? Yeah, he was the second. About 40th, if I'm not mistaken. 40th overall, there we go. Uh, two very high draft picks. Actually, Coco was the year before Yakupov. My apologies. I said yes. two years later, one year uh, before. 2011, he was the same. Actually, he was the same draft, I believe, as Spooner, uh, Knight, and... Oh, that was the Bruins uh, had one other iffy flake uh, that year too. <laughs> iffy flake. <laughs> that was the, actually 2011 was um, Dougie Hamilton in the first round, uh, and then Coco. As much as I, as much as I think that he gets that his uh, slight, <laughs> as much as I think that his. Eccentricities are exaggerated. Dougie probably does deserve to be called a flake sometimes. Anthony Kamara. There's that whole draft class was quirky. Yeah, Robo. I mean, Rob O'Gara was probably the most well-grounded player in that Any. in that camp. Last pick in the first round. Although middle of the, I mean, last pick in the fifth round, middle of the fifth round, they actually, uh, Sean Corrali was taken by San Jose. So and then they got uh, lost. But, <clears throat> yeah. I, I, that's not of the, the same. Bruins pick. Yeah. Of the Bruins picks. <laughs> that's, that's a whole lot of quirk. Yeah. And then Lars Volden in the sixth round. Who and, never played in the NHL. Yeah. Uh, one of those amazing goaltender draft uh, picks that the Bruins are famous for. So they got Nugent Hopkins. They got, I, I just, 
I'm not against him getting the seven million. I think that I think that Edmonton of being able to afford the seven million is a different story. And and, and yeah, yes, Eugene and Hopkins that is, is that finally, is an option. That is that is the trouble. Eugene Hopkins getting the seven mil not the problem. Uh, Edmonton affording it different story. And, and yet he is he is. He is rounding out there. He's playing well. I don't know if bringing in bringing in McDavid a couple of years ago is what settled him down. I mean, suddenly he wasn't the, the focal point. The pressure is not as on him or as heavily on him as it was before, because you have you have Drysital and McDavid, but he's also healthy. Well, the healthy part is always a good thing as well. Yes, <laughs> when you're healthy, you can do more. It's not a very difficult equation. Is he somebody that, I mean, not that the Bruins are looking to add, but since we're having issues with, I don't know, right wingers, granted he's a center, but Uh, he plays, I mean, he plays both wing and center. I mean, theoretically, I could see him as a midterm ad, like next year if he doesn't resign. But he's going to be seven. I mean, on the open market, he's probably getting seven and a half at or more at seven years. Are you going to have that cap space? I mean, Krejci is expiring here in Boston, so uh, and I don't if what if Sweeney is actually being serious about the potential rebuild. Uh, about something I'm not going to hold my breath over. Is he even using that word? Um, there was a story two weeks ago, three weeks ago about uh, about that being a potential thing. Um, I was going to say, I don't recall him using the, the word rebuild. He may not have used the word rebuild, but it was certainly careful, uh, certainly heavily implied. Like this uh, is the last season under contract for David Krejci, who's at seven and a quarter. Yeah, if you're going to move on from him after this year. Say thank you for your time, David. Um, uh, we couldn't we, have won the cup without you, but we're not resigning you. Um, but we need maybe a second you can get him. Center. <laughs> maybe maybe you can get him. And you know you have, say you start the twenty one twenty two season. That mythical beast of over two horizons. Um, I just I, I say you start I the twenty twenty or twenty one twenty two season with with uh, with uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins as one of your top two centers because that will be the last year of Bergeron's contract, and you give. You give uh, the younger guys that we're hoping will take the step this year, but may not. And I don't think that they should be considered uh, failures if they don't. But you give Trent Frederick, you give uh, Jack Studnika, you give uh, Jacob Lauko. Um, and if you're in need of a comedy, uh, you give, assuming he's still part of the <laughs> roster, uh, Peter Solarik an opportunity uh, in that 2021 20, season to, t- to spell Bergeron and um, and Nugent Hopkins at center on those first two lines. Okay. I mean, you let I'm, them win it. 
I think it's scary that they've got the Bruins have fourteen million dollars on IR right now. Yeah, it, it is. Ooh. But it happens, and it's not it's not something you can overcome. Yeah, I know. So Nugent Hopkins. So Nugent Hopkins worth the money. Just Edmonton's got to figure out a way to afford it without yeah. hurting themselves any more than because I can't imagine that. I mean, and if they can't, if they know they can't sign him by, I would say even a month or two months into this season, I think you start working on a trade so that you can get rid of him by the trade deadline. Oh, you, oh, you mean like Sweeney did with Tory Krug? Yes, yes. Get that maximum return. What was what was the Bruins' maximum return on that deal? Roster space and cap space. Oh, okay. Oh, and a gaping hole where the left side of their defense used to be, <laughs> and all of the uh, and a third of the offense on their power play. You know, the ability to lug the puck up the ice, uh, as well as to make smart exit passes, in zone passes, retain the puck at the blue line uh, of the offensive zone during uh, during penalties uh, during power plays. You know. Minus really good return. It was sensational. In fact, we're just going to have to call it Sweeney Tacular. Sweeney Tacular, you heard it here first. By the way, we're still paying David Backus one and a half million dollars. Maybe we can take that one and a half million dollars and train Don Sweeney on what to look for in signing his own players. Hey, it's the last year, and then he's off the books, so. Hooray. Oh, goodness. So Nugent Hopkins gets a new contract. Uh, I'm trying to think of what what else do we have around here? We got Libor. Oh, got- let's, let's actually talk about something else uh, a little bit different. Um, okay. I'm all for something different, sure. Way uh, everyone needs to climb into their wayback machines and set the year, uh, set the date for April of uh, 2018. April of 2018. Yes, the Humboldt Broncos uh, bus crash. Ah, uh, yes. Up in uh, Leduc, uh, Alberta, 16 deaths, 13 injuries. Uh, one of the young men who was on that bus on that team. Uh, has gotten on skates again. Um, Tyler really? Smith. Yes. Tyler Excellent. Smith. Um, he has no memory of the crash, uh, which is probably for the best. Um, he spent a couple of weeks or uh, he spent a full month in the, in a coma. Um, he's moving towards, he's moving towards, uh, just general health um, and getting over uh, getting over everything. Um, he's he wants to take the opportunity, the platform, uh, the responsibility of reminding people, uh, men in particular, that um, you need to be open about your mental health issues and you can't you can't always do it alone. And that there's not really a problem with that. Um, regardless of what a lot of people think. 
Um, and I think that's a, I think that's a strong message for nearly anyone. The fact that this is a 20 year old who's putting this message out and not some 45 year old who just successfully escaped a midlife crisis, um, is pretty impressive. Uh, he's 22. Tyler Smith is 22. Uh, former teammate. Um, Lane, uh, Lane Matusik um, has a slightly altered hockey dream. Um, he's before uh, before the crash. Uh, he had been planning, uh, or he had obviously hockey was his life. Um, at this point, all he wants is as a next step is to be able to play on a rec team. Um, he's 20 years old. Um, the only way that his parents identified him because of the injuries after the crash was because of the tattoo on his arm. Um, he's also moving forward. He had a significant brain injury. Uh, he still has uh, speech issues. It took him a while to learn to walk and talk again. 11 plates in his face. Uh, two more facial surgeries. Um, he, uh, in the article from Sportsnet Canada, uh, when I met uh, Crosby, it wasn't the best. Uh, it's been, be- it's better since then uh, regarding his speech. Um, uh, before he wanted to become a chiropractor and a teacher, um, those are obviously, obviously positions where you're going to have to speak a lot. Um, his goal for the future is basically been altered to personal trainer. He wants to train hockey players. Uh, you really can't do anything, but Marvel at the resiliency of these two, um, and wish them the best of luck. I wish them nothing but the best prayers and thoughts go out to them. Uh, looking over, and I don't know if I've got the same story as you. I've got one from the Edmonton Journal, uh, written, by Jason, written by Jason Herring. It's, again, Tyler Smith, and it goes over. It says a year and a half after the worst day of his life, LaDuke's Tyler Smith walks the halls of the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology, where he's a student in the school's radio and television program. So it said that he went through – it mentions that he went through – uh, multiple surgeries that he still takes aspirin because of uh, because he had a stroke. Mm-hmm. Different uh, story, but go. But uh, every once in a while, he, he finds that writing. He currently plays for the Duke Riggers, but he finds that he he's been writing uh, journal entries here and there are beneficial. It's a day to day process. You have to take it every day. You can't rush the healing is the big thing that he's learned. Uh, He also goes on to mention that for November, he's raised over $2,500, growing his his stash and raising money. Um, This quote here is, obviously there's an age-old tale that men aren't always going to open up as easily as women. At the end of the day, if I can raise money for men's mental health, that's all I can ask for. And then 
and he, he he said he'd love to try to inspire and give people as much hope as he can. Uh, that being said, because he's thinking of making a career of public speaking as a way to continue to share his story of recovery. I mean, it, it, to go through a tragedy like he's been through and to come out on the other side, I don't know that there's anything I can say or do to commend him that's befitting of what he's dealt with. It, it's amazing to me, you know, it, to have to go through something like that and to be able to come out. It, it, it's almost on a on on a par with with what uh, Travis Roy had gone through, and to be able to come out on the other end and to inspire people. So. I wish him much luck and success in, in his future endeavors. Yeah. Um, I look forward to seeing what these two guys accomplish in the future. Uh, after what they've been through, pretty much anything is going to be easier. Doesn't make it easy. Doesn't make it fun. Doesn't make it in any way enjoyable, but learning to walk again, learning to talk again, uh, those are not easy things. Not at all. Uh, still some speculation and uncertainty regarding when the season will start. Um, one of the uh, TVA sports has Renaud Lavoie reporting that uh, Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly uh, is talking about uh, people saying that the season may be as short as 48 games, which that's a terrifyingly short season. Honestly, um, it doesn't. It's better than no hockey, but it. My, I'm not sure that it settles anything. 48 games. I mean, the, the, I'm the, not sure that it settles anything. That's, that's literally twice as long as the average uh, as the average playoff run for uh, the two teams that make it to the Cup Finals. I just I, I don't think that I don't think that's an I mean I don't think it's enough. I don't think you're gonna. I mean that's a worst case. Well, that's a that's the absolute bottom of what they expect. They're. The projection at this point is 60 to 68 games um, in the CBA that was just negotiated. Um, it was uh, it was written in that regardless of the number of games played in the 20 or in the 2020 2021 season, uh, the players would receive 72 percent of their of their salary, uh, regardless of the number of games played. Um Lyle Spector thinks that the 82 game schedule is a fantasy at this point. Um, 72 is probably high. <sighs> speaking, speaking as just and speaking as me as as detached observer as possible, I don't know that it's in any way useful to have a season less than 60, 64 games. I don't know that there's time for people to get attached 
and for the teams to settle it. I mean, we talk about it every year. The month of October is essentially a throwaway month in the NHL. And with a normal play, with a normal start to the year, October is effectively a throwaway month. We don't. I look at the standings. Well, you have any attention. I was going to say you can't really learn anything in that first month because a lot of teams will have a, a player or two starting on IR because they had surgery mm-hmm. over the course of the off season. Uh, it takes. It it seems to take different position players a little longer to get in the get in the in in into their rotation into their 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 routines it in in baseball it takes pitchers it, it takes hitters longer than pitchers or vice versa right to get into so the first month of their season you'll see pitchers with bloated eras and whatnot it's the same thing in hockey you, you, defensemen it seems to take them a little bit longer to get into their routine you, you unless you're been playing for like three months and they haven't because training camp was only a week long and then they had a two weeks where games were split apart by five days so that first month yes is a throwaway um and then and even november the, is squishy and the other thing is the the last month for the teams that for the teams that are clearly not going to get into the playoffs the last month even gets a little squishy I'm not saying that teams give up, but when you know the effort you're not is not as for- yeah, the effort is not the same. Um, so to have a season where, say, the season works out to 58 games, you're going to know by the 30 game mark whether you're making the playoffs or not. For the most part, you're probably going to know. Realistically, that is about what it takes in most years from October beginning of schedule to the second week of December. You're just warming up and half the teams are going to shut down. I mean, we've we've been talking about it for a bit now where if they tried to play an 82 game schedule, depending on when they start, they're going to unless they really. the word unless they really compacted the schedule yeah and played say three or four games in one week they weren't going to be able to get 82 games in and still be done with the season by like april or or late march it was it's just not going to happen they were still going to be playing into may before they even thought about playoffs playoffs wouldn't be starting until mid-june or something 68 to 72 games i think is is fair i wouldn't want to go much below like you said 64 i think 48 is just ridiculous at what point do you suddenly realize that well maybe we need a new plan (laughs) Because I don't think 48 is enough. I think you need to get in like 68 to 72 games. Maybe um, 60. <clears throat> like I said, I could go. I could go as low as 64. But and <sighs> even even allowing for a plan in place to start the season after next, 
on time in October. <clears throat> I I don't see it as being good for a lot of the players <clears throat> going from not starting in January or from say a mid January start to let's allow, <clears throat> let's allow a two week period where the NHL has to suspend because of, uh, uh, because of the disease mm-hmm. and throw that in there is, are you going to make those games up or are you going to, just uh, yank them from your schedule. Probably, if it's if everything's already heavily compressed, you probably have to yank them from your schedule. Yeah, um, but then you're talking about a team. Then you're talking about staggered, uh, staggered results. And how do you? Well, I could answer my own question there. I was going to say how do you how do you rank the teams? But then you can go to win percentage instead of number uh, number of points because if you're still giving two points for a win uh, no point and, and, and there's not. Uh, there's eight game difference between some teams yeah you would have to go by win percentage i would suppose win i just percentage uh, and then divisional win percentage i think is going to have to be the tiebreakers i don't think that not having a season is at all an answer though you've had some teams like detroit who haven't played since march we're talking like Nine months. Yeah. Um, and the more, the longer you go without playing, the more players you're losing to Europe. Because we were just talking about uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins a minute ago. If we get to the end of the year and we've only played 51 games and he can't find a contract at whatever level he expects is good for him. He can go to Europe, make at least as much money, play in a less physical league, and play about the same same length season. What's what's to stop him? Where's the downside for him? Where's the downside for a lot of of guys who are known across the league? And that's before you talk about the dilution effect of adding the Kraken. Because players are going to end up on that team, it's going to take a little bit of depth from the other, uh, from the thirty teams eligible uh, for them to draft from. Yeah, I, I just it uh, yeah they've got to you've got to have some kind of season this year, but it needs to be a season that is. Viable, valuable, and memorable. Viable, because I don't think 48 games is. You need to. I think you need to at least play. If we have a regular 82 game season, I'm thinking you need to play at least like 65, 70, um, maybe 75, 65 to 75 percent of it. So yeah, we're talking somewhere in the mid 60s to low 70s. I, beyond that, it's and I mean the cons- the the financial consequences, especially since most places aren't even going to have aren't going to allow any fans, much less thirty percent, fifty percent of the of the arena. <clears throat> the consequences of going down to forty eight games 
with all of the TV revenue and Jersey revenue and merchandise revenue disappearing. Uh, what does that mean for your cap uh, in the inaugural season uh, of of the uh, Kraken? Are they going to have a cap that's you know seventy one million instead of the eighty one it's at now? How many players are going to be out of jobs? Um, How many teams are going to be able to get down to that cap number? Period. I mean, we're, right we're, now we're, we're looking at cap is flat. teams, six teams over the cap at at eighty one or so. Yeah. That, that. There are nine teams currently over the eight in a eight and a half eight point one five million dollar cap at this point. And it's flat this year. If, if you, do you know how many have, teams? Do you know how many teams are under seventy one million at this point? Under seventy one? Yeah. Um none. Four. Oh, okay. And of them only one is not a basement dweller. You've got the Ottawa Senators, the Nashville Predators, the LA Kings, and the New Jersey Devils at sixty eight point nine and below. How many how many roster spots have they not filled at that number? Uh, Ottawa has twenty two of twenty three. The other three, uh, Nashville and Los Angeles, are at nineteen of twenty three, and the New Jersey Devils are at sixteen of twenty three. Okay, so that as projected by Cap Friendly. So that's my point. They're under seventy one million, but they've still got, with the exception of Ottawa, they still got yeah, a lot of work to do. Yes, multiple roster spots to still fill, which means they aren't going to be under 71 mil unless they fill them with four entry-level contracts. (laughs) Which is still going to bring them (laughs) up to just about... Is there a cap floor in the NHL? Um, I forget where the cap floor is uh, at present, but... I can't imagine anybody's anywhere near it to, and, and still be competitive in this. In Not uh, the lower limit is 60.2 million. Okay, uh, so, everybody's a, so there's a 20 point, uh, 21.3 million dollar difference between the top and the floor. It just seems like this is. They've got they've got to play a season. They I don't think they, they can. They need to get to that mid that middle sixties in order to have any hope of retaining enough revenue to keep to keep the league alive. To make it financially viable. Yeah, I mean you're if the if the if the NHL can't get in at least sixty games next year and the year after at least 60 games both seasons and have fans returning in the season after I'm, I'm, I'm at this point I'm writing fan fans in the arenas off uh, in any, in any viable numbers at this point for next season. I am. It'll be a great thing if there are 20% fans in the buildings at some point or 40 or 50%, but I, I don't see it happening. Uh, Certainly not in the first two or three months. Um, but if they don't have 60 per if they don't have at least 60 games the next two seasons with fans in in the arena by the 21-22 season 
you're looking at contraction. There are teams right now having issues, and I can't see them being able to relocate to a new city with no fan base, no fans, no tickets, no no big pop of jersey sales. I'm just – I guess I'm wondering how much – because I haven't seen anything – ooh, excuse me. I haven't seen anything information-wise as to is there input from NBC – is there input from anybody else who may have, and I don't think anybody else does have a, a an NHL TV contract, but ha- has NBC had any input into this realigning or shortening of the season? Because they're the only ones that are, right now, they're paying the freight. There's no, there were no butts in seats. There were no, you know, nobody at turnstiles. So right now, basically, the the TV contract is footing the bill. Yeah, I mean, there's How the, much input there's the they people had. who advertise on the boards and the ice uh, of games, but that's about it. How much input have, have they had into this? Is the, are the NHL, is Batman or, or Lavoie reaching out and, and getting input from them? I mean, I well, don't See, I think it's probably the other way around. The most terrifying thing the sports community, and I and I say this across all sports, you know, from the NFL to women's basketball, the most terrifying thing that any of these leagues and organizations should have to consider is that the broadcast networks find a way to replace their advertising revenue at lower cost to themselves and come out ahead because there's a lot of production that goes into it. If these networks, I mean, barring the sports, the purely sports networks decide that they can get reality TV and other stuff cheaper, Mm -hmm. they might, the NHL, the NBA, uh, the other leagues might never get their, TV time back. Yeah. And no TV for no TV for the N even for the NFL, unless they decide to create a pure streaming app. That's going to carry uh, the NFL at a subscription and at a subscription. That's heavy enough to make up for the TV revenue. <laughs> that, and that's their toast. That, that's the key right there. The NHL, the NHL can sell their NHL package and stream all their games on there if they were to lose NBC. But the key is how much would each subscription have to cost, and, and would NHL fans be willing to pay it if they're not running games on? I mean, I get frustrated because I can't watch my favorite soccer team every week because they've just suddenly NBC has suddenly decided to put. Chelsea on Peacock Premium, and I got to pay for most of the games now. Yep. You know, if you did that with the whole NHL, because there was no TV, I don't know how. I don't. I I honestly haven't thought about it. But where would I don't know how much my cutoff would be if you told me that a whole season would cost me two hundred bucks? Am I willing? At two hundred bucks, I can do that. You know, you can probably do that. 
the average 14-year-old, unlikely their parents are going to spring for $200 to watch one sport. I agree. And that's, so, yeah. as I said, that's the most terrifying real event or possibility for any of the leagues. And that's what I'm saying. They've got to play. See, you've got to, right now, you've got to somehow give NBC a reason to show hockey. <laughs> They're the ones putting the bill. Yes, you have the signs on the boards. I understand that. But those those signs don't get seen if there's no butts in seats unless unless you keep TV running and keep the games going on TV. So it's not even about the signs on the boards. It's it's about the TV contract at this point until they can start letting fans back into the building. Yeah, and what even though I don't believe that fans uh, that butts and seats are the biggest uh, portion of the revenue, they're the biggest engagement. They're the hardest well, core fans, most yeah. likely to spend money on things on they're the not, game. Uh, that's what I was just about to say. They're not just butts in seats. They're also walking through the pro shops. They're wearing the jerseys, wearing the hats. And they're in a, in a, in a way they're they're your community advertisers, your viral advertisers. Um, I think almost every hockey fan I know was introduced to hockey by a family member, whereas. The NFL, you know, you can turn on TV on any given Sunday and run across, you know, nine games because it's on all day. There's not yep. really a day like that for hockey uh, on a regular basis on multiple networks. Um, one interesting rumor uh, from uh, Joe Haggerty uh, from Boston Hockey Now. Boston um, Hockey Now. Oh, yes. Joe. Joe's not with NBC. That's right. We talked uh, about this last week. I forgot. Yep. Uh, is whether they will bring back uh, Jake DeBrusque or not. And you mentioned. Yeah. I, I personally think they will. Um, Haggerty also has his doubts. Uh, but they, as part of the article and the discussion, is the possibility of swapping DeBrusque for a defenseman. Um, and you had your uh, you had your thoughts on that uh, possible trade that included DeBrusque and Carlo for what was it Bennett and Hannafin. Hannafin. I it it wasn't thoughts. I saw it, it was tweeted out by a, a friend of ours uh, in doing his own and, and he does his own podcast, Mark Allred and the the suggestion was that uh, or a rumor that was seen on Top mm-hmm. Shelf or, or uh, some video on YouTube and the suggestion there was that the Bruins were going to trade or, or could trade Jake DeBrusque and Brandon Carlo for Noah Hannafin and Sam Bennett. But that doesn't make any sense. Uh, because Noah Hannafin, yes, is a, a different style of defenseman from Brendan Carlo and plays on the opposite side. So you'd be bringing in a left defenseman but sacrificing a right defenseman. Jake DeBrusque offensively is better than Sam Bennett. Uh, 
whether you want to agree or not, that, that's fine. But I'm telling you that that's not the case. He is better than Sam Bennett. It just nothing. None of that makes sense. And I understand that. And you said it, that, that Calgary has to shed some some salary, which is what this deal would do, because Brandon Carlo is cheaper than Noah Hannafin. But it doesn't help the Bruins out defensively, which is their biggest issue right now, because they've only got one left side defenseman. Correct. Uh, replacing replacing Jake DeBrusque uh, could be. There are still other wingers out there, and we talked about him. One of our one of our favorites, Anthony Duclair, not given Correct. a qualifying offer. So Which trading baffles. trading DeBrusque. What's that? That still baffles me. Yeah, I don't get it either, and I I don't know if there's like a. Uh, there's nobody I can ask as to why. I mean, it's not like I have Eugene Melnick's number or Pierre Dorian's number. I don't know what's going on there because it doesn't make sense to me. It, this is a guy who clearly succeeded in your organization with players that you currently have on the roster. There was good chemistry there, and you don't bring him back. It's not like he's going to be an $8 million a year player. He's not going to be overly expensive. And he's the same age as the guys <laughs> who you've clearly identified as your core. It doesn't make sense. Make it make sense. I'm trying, but I don't Make I it can. make sense. Somebody, if you're listening to the show, please, I, I really genuinely mean this. Tweet me. Tell me how it makes sense for the Ottawa uh, Senators not to have ex- at least extended an offer to maintain negotiation rights for Anthony DeClaire. Mm-hmm. I, I want to know this. I, I don't have an answer. I don't. I mean, he's he's like the same age as Kachuk and Brown. Uh, I mean, he's a one or two years older than them, but he's yeah, what playing he, 20, what, well with 25? your core. <laughs> as far as the as far as the trade goes, uh, as far as the trade goes. It doesn't make sense. If you want to swap out somebody for Brandon Carlo, like a Jeremy Lozon, who clearly appears to be NHL ready. Yes. And you don't want to give up on youth, but at the same point in time, bringing in a Noah Hannafin would be a a nice addition. I mean, I wanted the Bruins to draft him when he came out from Boston College. But... I don't want to sacrifice a Brandon Carlo to bring Noah Hannafin in. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. And yes, I still can. I'm still trying to find ways to explain why Ottawa hasn't signed Duclair. That's not happening either because I well, can't. Well, at 25 battle. years old, I mean, he's he's practically retired. Oh, okay, that's a, yeah. It, only explanation. He's practically retired. Wow. Yeah, I mean, 25 is. Old. <sighs> Excuse me, I need to go drink a gallon of moonshine just to get the idiocy of not making a qualifying offer. Because here's the thing, if you make a qualifying offer, you can still trade his rights later. Sure, why If not? you don't make a qualifying offer, you lose everything. And what kind of, I mean, seriously, 
what kind of a raise are you talking about? The the young man made one point six five million last season. He had a one year deal. One point six five million. If you give him a raise, it's up to what? Two and a quarter? Two and a half? Even if you go as high as three for like a three or four year deal, so what? Twenty three goals for three million a year? Okay. Sign me up for that. Especially when he's shown that he works. Yes, has he struggled the last couple of seasons on other teams where they couldn't figure out where to fit him or what line to fit him on, uh, playing him s- smaller minutes? It's, but his production in your uniform has been has been the best of his career. What is wrong with you? 40, 40 points in 66 games. And the season before that, after coming over from Columbus, 14 points in 21 games. That's a pretty good number. So, particularly when you're you so wait, when you're jumping into a new system. He's averaging two he's averaging two thirds of a point in your jersey. Yes. Per, two, per, uh, per two game. Two thirds of a point per game in your jersey. And you don't extend him anything. Yes. That's correct. Mm, okay. Pierre Dorian is not as smart as I might have thought he was. Um <laughs> Here's, and I and here uh, and I thought I, that he was making moves to solidify well, the team. He has made some interesting moves. Um, I don't know how many of them were really smart and how many of them were sheer dumb luck. Uh, but you know, two or three more moves like this, and I know which direction I'm going to be leaning. But here's the here's the other. Uh, you know what? Never mind. I I don't want to talk about it anymore. I just can't. I can't, I can't, I can't. Um, maybe, maybe it's the fact that they can't afford him. Oh, wait, didn't you just say they were, like, bottom of the list in Cap Yeah, there's, like, two or three teams <laughs> at most who have spent less than them. Okay, yeah. We're and gonna they have also to. have players who will be coming off of the uh, – I mean, they're still paying Dion Phaneuf at this point and uh, really? Bobby Ryan oh, they are. Uh, oh. having bought them out. Wow, Bobby Ryan five, still has five million bucks this year. Yeah, yeah, and it drops down to four million next year, and two point two the year after that, and then one point eight. Um, I think even if we have Jake DeBruskin, I think we still need to throw some money at Duclair and get him into a Bruins uniform. I I, I just don't get it. We need Anyways, I, we need left we need left defense first, but. Yes, get the defense. Get an actual complement of at least four total uh, NHL ready uh, or quality left defensemen, mm-hmm. and then if there's still space, go grab Mister Duclair, or you know make trades so that you can grab Mister Duclair. Sure. And what else is on the board for us to talk about today? <sighs> I've got nothing. There is one thing up here, but we can. What's the thing? Well, you threw, you threw it up here. Top 10 goalies in Bruins history. Yes. Um, another Haggerty piece, actually. Um, you got a Haggerty thing today, huh? I found myself not disagreeing with the list nearly as much as I expected to. Okay. Um, and that's really all I'm going to say about it. Uh, I don't. Uh, I, spoilers, Tim Thomas is higher on the list than Tuka Rask. Um, That's a spoiler. But, uh, 
for some people it's going to be. Um, for me, I'm not sure how you put anyone. Well, they've only got six cup wins and one, and I think one guy won two of them. Uh, but if you're going to ask me, I don't think that you rank anyone with zero cups above guys with cups. Uh, but that's something y'all can debate amongst yourselves. And when you decide you hate me at puck sage on Twitter. So number, number one, Oh, number one, isn't who you think it might be. Um, it is a number 30. It, this is true. It is a number 30. There you go. And that's where we leave it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening as always. Um, it was a pleasure to do the show again. Um, we will have more hockey talk. Um, I think I will probably watch a couple of hockey games or college games this week. Uh, look for some tweets. Um, now that it's uh, slightly less political on uh, Twitter at the moment. Um, and uh, I'm always around. Uh, tweet me. I will get back to you reasonably soon. Chris? At the off wing, I will also be trying to find some college hockey since I wasn't even aware that they had started up playing yet uh, with what was going on. So I will definitely find it out, and I will be on Twitter hopefully as well. Ladies and gentlemen, take care. Until next week.